Welcome to this special edition of Century of Lies. The Mind-Body Connection. This is a report from Santa Barbara on the 4th National Clinical Conference on Cannabis Therapeutics. For this half hour, we focus on the nurses. My name is Dean Becker, producer of the Drug Truth Network radio programs. Why does the American Nurses Association think that patients should have the right to medical cannabis? First up, we will hear from one of the directors of Patients Out of Time, Nurse Mary Lynn Mathry. As Patients Out of Time, when we started back in 1995, one of the reasons for starting was that the legal patients who still had access to to legal federally supplied cannabis we're dying. When they closed the program in 92, we're not sure exactly. 13 to 15 patients were the only ones left to get that medicine. All others were banned from getting it. By the time 1995 rolled around, we were getting down. I think as, at that time we knew of only eight patients. So we got patients out of time. We've been saying for several years now that there's seven patients left alive, as far as we know, that get their medicine from the federal government. We're going to correct that. As far as we know, to the best of our ability, there are only five patients left alive. And we're losing one um, pretty soon. We didn't have Corinne Millette come here and talk with you today. She's a glaucoma patient. Um, she's under hospice care right now, so she could not travel. She's not with us. We thought we would have Barbara Douglas with us today, but her multiple sclerosis um, is progressing. Despite cannabis, it certainly made her a lot more active, uh, gave her back her life, got her off a lot of medications, uh, but the disease is progressing, and she's unable to make it, make the trip. I think one thing that was uh, remarkable with Barbara's story is how she came about getting the cannabis. Um, she actually uh, went to help a patient uh, in the area in Iowa, near where she lived, who was arrested for using cannabis, and she found out he had MS. And she went to tell him that he shouldn't be doing drugs. <laughs> and um, in that conversation, it, she learned from him about cannabis. She had better connections. <laughs> um, and through her congressman and that, and she got into the IND program, and she became a legal patient whereas Lad Huffman, the fellow who befriended her and taught her about medical cannabis, was one of those who was granted access to therapeutic cannabis. But when the program closed, if they hadn't received it yet, they weren't going to receive their medicine. So he was kind of told yes, and then it was taken away. So here she was, you know, a patient who got it because of him and then had to watch her friend not be able to get the medicine. The other interesting thing with Barbara is the physician who helped her get it was her psychiatrist, who was helping her with severe depression for her dis disabling disease, a young mother and now uh, stricken with MS. Um, he's remained anonymous for reasons you can all understand. Most physicians do want to, but both he and her other physician, who's a uh, neurologist who follows her MS, are both very, very supportive of her. 
purposelessness is so supportive in the past year and a half, he's actually made the home deliveries to come and bring her her tins of cannabis because she's been too ill to come and travel. I urge all the healthcare professionals that are here to, again, take this information and, and really advocate for the patients. Um, this is something, in terms of the medicines we use, I always say it from the nursing perspective, but as a nurse, the concern is always of giving somebody the wrong thing or too much or you know, something that can go wrong because we know of how much danger is in many medications if used inappropriately or at the wrong dosage, uh, as you got from this, this morning. And cannabis is one of those medicines that it, it doesn't work for everybody. But if it doesn't work, there really is not much harm done. Didn't work. Okay. But if it does work, it's certainly a mild medication that can take the place of so many others. And we really need professionals to be out as Montel was wanting I think he wants other star power some of those people who can make a difference on the airways to get out there uh, and we look at it with this conference we want the healthcare professionals to stand up and advocate for the patients because they really need your voice thank you the next voice you hear is that of the dean of the college of nursing at the university of iowa she has conducted a decades long study of the use of ganja by pregnant women in Jamaica. Many have called her the queen of American nursing, Dr. Melanie Dreher. This was a study that we did back in the 80s, and uh, it was to take 30 uh, uh, cannabis-using pregnant women and uh, match them for age and parity and socioeconomic status with 30 women who did not use cannabis and then compare the course of their pregnancies and compare uh, their uh, neonatal uh, outcomes. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, on the neonatal part. We measured these babies using the Brazelton behavioral scale, neurobehavioral scale, at one day, three days, and 30 days. At uh, three days, we found no differences between the two cohorts, and at 30 days, we found that the, uh, the exposed group of babies did better on every variable than the non-exposed, which was pretty counterintuitive, and did significantly better on uh, two of the scales, which had to do with autonomic sp- stability and reflexes. Fortunately, we were able to secure funding from the National Institute of Drug Abuse, on drug abuse, and we went back to Jamaica to look at these babies, whom we had followed pretty intensively uh, through funding from the March of Dimes, but we went back and followed these babies to age four and five, and we wanted to test these children at age four before they started school and then at age five after they had been in school. We divided the group. In order to get some dose-related effects, we divided the sample into four groups. So we had the large group of non-users, 30 non-users, and 30 uh, users divided into light users, 1 to 10 per week. That's per week, not per day. And uh, 11 to 20 per week were moderate users, and 21 to 70 uh, spliffs. I don't know if you've seen a Jamaican spliff, but it's substantial, and uh, uh, to 70 a week. And we did have uh, one woman in the study who smoked approximately 70 a week, about 10 a day. We also considered the regularity and frequency of ganja tea consumption because 
uh, in Jamaica, uh, ganja tea is a routine preparation of marijuana. It's specifically given to children and pregnant women as well as adults and um, enjoys actually a much more widespread use crossing class boundaries. So it's an important medicine in Jamaica. We measured the children at age four using three measures, the McCarthy scale of children's abilities, uh, the behavioral style questionnaire, and a household rating scale. And the uh, McCarthy is made up of um, five scales and then a general cognitive index. And it includes verbal ability, perceptual performance, quantitative skills, memory, and motor. And then the first three, verbal, perceptual performance, and quantitative skills, are combined into a general cognitive index, which is a lot like an IQ score. Uh, this is used, this instrument is used cross-culturally. We made a few minor modifications uh, for the Jamaican sample, but essentially uh, did not, the established validity and reliability of that instrument was just fine for the Jamaican population. We also looked at the behavioral style questionnaire, and this assesses the temperament of each child as perceived by the child's primary caregiver. Fundamentally, our findings were, and we did a multiple uh, analysis of covariance, and I won't go into all the details, there were absolutely no significant differences among the four groups on any of the McCarthy scales or the behavioral style questionnaire. Just no differences at all. So then we went on to look at these children at age five. And we used the same McCarthy scale of children's abilities. We used the behavioral style questionnaire. And we introduced a more sophisticated uh, measure. Let me go to that, the home scale. And uh, the home scale was, uh, was an important addition because it really gave us uh, a much uh, more granularity to our uh, analysis, and we were able to... Uh, relate items in the home scale, the home environment uh, for child development to some of our findings. And that includes stimulation through equipment, toys, and experiences. Jamaican children, low-income Jamaican children, do not have a lot of toys, although they do make some toys themselves. But there is equipment and, and books often and experiences in the household which permit that stimulation. A stimulation of mature behavior. It is not unusual, for example, for a, a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old in Jamaica to already be washing out her father's handkerchiefs or something like that to learn some adult skills. Uh, stimulating physical and language environment, avoidance of restriction and punishment, pride, affection, thoughtfulness, masculine stimulation, and independence from parental control are all part of this home scale. Um, as with the age four studies, the results of the MANOVA analysis re revealed, again, absolutely no differences among the four ganja use groups on any of the development or the temperament scales. Again, absolutely no differences. On the other hand, analysis of the home scale revealed uh, that the subscale called stimulation with toys, games, and reading material was significantly related to several MS uh, McCarthy scales, verbal, perceptual, perceptual, memory, the general cognitive index, and the temperament, as well as the temperament characteristics of the threshold. 
Um, the analysis from the subscale stimulation of mature behavior also showed highly significant relationships to every McCarthy scale and to the temperament category of mood. So, uh, the, and the regularity of uh, basic school attendance, basic schools like kindergarten uh, in the United States, um, also indicated that the, there was a relationship between basic school attendance and the McCarthy verbal, perceptual, memory, motor, and general cognitive index. So what does all this mean? Uh, it essentially tells us that we can't really conclude that there's necessarily no impact from uh, ganja use uh, pre, uh, prenatally whatsoever. But what can be concluded is that the child who attends basic school regularly is provided with a variety of stimulating experiences at home, who is encouraged to show mature behavior, has a profoundly better chance of performing at a higher level on the skills measured by the McCarthy whether or not his or her mother consumed ganja during pregnancy. Hello, hello. It means if you go to school, you're going to do better on these, on these um, uh, criteria. So uh, it doesn't sound like a very interesting finding, but given what everybody else was finding at the time, we thought it was pretty darned interesting. And again, a little bit counterintuitive. So the result is, and I'm I'm sorry I've gone over my time, but I think we have a lot of red herrings. I think that, um, you know, a red herring is something that distracts us from more important questions. Uh, For example, in in the emphasis to compare users and non-users, exposed, non-exposed, why are we not looking at the within the exposed group and to account for the differences within that group? The intra-group variation, I think, is absolutely important. It's great to see that NIDA is softening, the NIH is softening on, uh, on uh, supporting research, but most of the research that uh, it has softening, softening on uh, is randomized clinical trials that have to do with symptom management in specific diseases. It is not really about uh, sort of quality of, of life issues. I think marijuana use among smoking by preg- marijuana use by pregnant women is a big red herring that distracts us from really looking at the impoverished conditions in which women throughout the world have to bear and raise children, in which they are they are looking for the cheapest, most available substance around in order to alleviate their morning sickness, in order to give them a better sleep at night, and in order to get the energy to do work every day that they have to do in order to support those children. So, yes, while we have the softening of NIDA on the clinical uh, studies and the randomized clinical trials, I think uh, what's, what's wrong with, you know, looking at, for example, instead of Peter Fried's executive function, problem solving in 9- to 12-year-olds, why isn't he or someone 
looking at school performance, peer relations, leadership skills in children, prenatal and family relations, healthy lifestyles. Are they participating in sports? Are they using tobacco and alcohol and other, and other substances? I mean, to, to me, this is, the, this is the, the ultimate outcome, is how we live our lives, not whether you can find some narrow, again, red herring, some narrow little uh, feature called executive function. So I think we need research on uh, quality of life and how uh, marijuana enhances the quality of life. Um, it's not an evolutionary accident that the two activities needed to sustain life and perpetuate the species are eating and sex, and that marijuana makes both of these things pleasurable. That is really, really important. And we used to not have to fight like this to get cannabis to women who needed it. And I love this prescription for cannabis to a woman, to Mrs. Puttock. It says, apply significantly to the part each night. I don't know what part they had in mind, but... (laughs) And cough syrup for children in which cannabis is the first ingredient. You know, what are we doing? So, again, I thank, I thank all of you very much for listening, for being attentive. And I have to say, you know, I, I do let this research languish a bit because I'm real busy doing a lot of things. But it's good to have these conference, I, conferences. I thank Mary Lynn and Alice again so much because it makes me mad all over again and gets me inspired to go back and continue this research. Thank you. This next voice is that of another director of Patients Out of Time, Al Byrne, who also happens to be the husband of nurse Mary Lynn Mathry. Nurses, I'm married to one. They are really important. With all due respect to the MDs out there and the PhDs, it's the nurses that give you the drugs. It's the nurses that decide if you're getting too many or the wrong one. The doctor isn't there. So you better love nurses. But nurses, the American Nurses Association, the California Nurses Association, the other uh, state nursing associations, 13 of them now, I think, these are the leaders. And we got one of those leaders here today. California Nurses Association is a co-sponsor with Patients Out of Time at this conference. Um, They help us get the accreditations for the nurses in the state of California, and they have a representative here. I would like you to uh, welcome, please, this morning, Nurse Bonnie Martin. The California Nurses Association is a professional association of more than 60,000 professional nurses practicing in California and throughout the nation. The CNA's primary goal is to assume responsible leadership in our communities and through that leadership to protect patients and ensure health and welfare so that all persons may have the best possible nursing and health care protection. The CNA also seeks to promote the professional and educational advancement and welfare of the professional nurse and to foster high standards of nursing practice. Protecting a patient's right to take measures to treat a medical condition or to relieve or alleviate pain implicates one of the most historically profound functions of physicians, nurses, and other medical professions. 
A patient should not be forced to endure unnecessary pain or suffering in any form, regardless of the nature of the patient's condition or the goals of the medical intervention. Thus, healthcare providers must be free to try to provide relief from pain and suffering. When medical problems remain intractable, the patient and the healthcare provider must be free to explore all therapeutic options. The, the ability to pursue such options motivates and informs many patients' decisions to seek the care of a particular healthcare practitioner. As registered nurses, we often see the effects of lack of access to medications and other therapeutic measures that have the potential to relieve suffering, improve functional abilities, and promote a better quality of life. Unfortunately, one of these therapeutic measures is denied to us as a result of the social stigma and legal environment that is developed around the use of medical marijuana. In the current social, legal, and political climate, patients are often afraid to ask for this potentially life-improving medication because they fear the negative judgment others may attribute to their character or their intentions. Because of this climate, physicians are also reluctant to offer this option to patients who have failed to find relief from more traditional and socially accepted therapies. You are all aware, and if you saw the movie yesterday, even more aware of incidents of patients using medical cannabis under appropriate medical supervision to treat pain or nausea, who have had the sheriff's department enter their home, place them under arrest, forcefully remove their medication from them, and leave these persons to deal with the terrible consequences, both medical and legal, of the current draconian legislation. Our government, on one hand, tells us, no, they actually virtually insist that we measure pain as the fifth vital sign. And it informs us that we must adequately address pain control. On the other hand, providers are becoming more and more fearful of prescribing any narcotic, particularly for chronic pain, for fear of the DEA investigation and potential loss of license. This is shameful. And we must work together to find a solution to this moral, legal conflict so that neither patients nor providers are criminalized when their only goal is to make someone's very life just livable. Because of the nature of registered nurses and because we are also mandated by law in this state to be patient advocates, RNs in the California Nurses Association will continue to be leaders in advocacy for all patients to receive the care that they need. We will fight the corporations that have destroyed health care in this country through our clean nurses. through our California nurses, clean money, and fair elections initiative, which we hope to be able to get on the ballot this fall, and other methods. We will advocate for our patients when we believe that their physicians have made bad health care decisions. We will continue to fight our governor, who supports and accepts huge donations from organizations who seek to limit access to health care. And we will battle for legislation that promotes improved access to appropriate health care for every individual in this country, which includes a single standard of care 
for all persons, as well as a single-payer legislation at both the state and the federal level. We also will advocate for a single standard of enforcement allowing appropriate access to the medication a patient needs in states where medical cannabis is currently determined to be legal. CNA supports all efforts to ensure the availability of this medication that provides a safe, effective, therapeutic, and uniform delivery method and system. We will work with other groups to ensure that all patients have access to all clinically proven and medically necessary therapies, and we will continue to fight for our patients and our communities to achieve health care for all. CNA is a sponsor of this educational conference because we believe that it is important for nurses and other health care providers to understand the science underlying the appropriate use of this medication, which includes understanding the risks related to cannabis use, along with measures that may be used to minimize these risks. It is our hope that the knowledge gained here as presented by researchers and physicians from many parts of the world, will further empower nurses and others to effectively advocate for a patient's right to access a safe and legal supply of this medication. As early as 1995, the California Nurses Association developed a position statement supporting research and appropriate therapeutic use of this medication and has consistently taken a leadership leadership position in this important patient advocacy effort. We applaud people out of time for their continued work in providing us the most up-to-date scientific knowledge that nurses and other health care providers will need to continue our work of advocating for safe, effective therapeutic response to one of our most fundamental rights. Avoiding intolerable pain and suffering as well as the indignity of losing the capacity to function is a fundamental liberty that we must do all that we can to preserve for those of us who can fight this battle and for those of us who no longer can. I've been a nurse for over 30 years and a nurse practitioner for the last eight. Over these years, I have cared for too many patients whose pain and suffering could not be relieved by current medical therapy. I have seen too many people live and too many people die in agony. As a nurse practitioner, I provide primary care to a geriatric population, nearly all of whom suffer from one or more painful or disabling chronic conditions. Many, if not most, of the medications I would prescribed for younger persons are not safe to use in the elderly. Options are few and have recently become even less as a result of the advent of Medicare Part D, which limits our choices even more. If there is a safe, effective, and therapeutic medication, as science is showing marijuana to be, then we only have one option. We must stop playing with people's lives. We must stop playing with people's dignity. So the California Nurses Association applauds the researchers and the physicians for the work that they are doing. We thank you who use, grow, and sell this medication for medical reasons for the risks that you take every day and that you're willing to continue to take for patients everywhere. 
So thank you for allowing us to be a small part of your struggle, and together I believe we will prevail. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this segment of our report on the mind-body connection from the 4th National Clinical Conference on Cannabis Therapeutics featuring the nurses. There are two other segments to this report, the doctors and the patients. You can access these three programs and hundreds more dealing with the policy of drug prohibition at our website, which is drugtruth.net. I want to thank the good folks at Patients Out of Time, whose website is medicalcannabis.com. And I want to thank the directors, Al Byrne and his wife, Nurse Mary Lynn Mathry, for their assistance as well. Many government agencies were invited to participate in this conference, and basically all of them refused to defend their policy. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Century of Lies and that you'll be with us next time. And again, I remind you that there is no truth, justice, logic, or any justification for this drug war. We have been duped. The drug lords run both sides of this equation. Please do your part to help end this madness. Prohibido estoc y valesco.